0: Welcome to episode four of the Epsilon Theory Podcast. I'm Ben Hunt, and uh, we're turning the tables here a little bit today. I'm going to be doing the interviewing, and the, uh, the, the main speaker today is going to be my partner, Rusty Gwyn. Hey, Rusty. Hey, Ben. <laughs> the reason we're turning the tables here is that we're talking uh, about a subject on which Rusty knows a lot more than I do. And by that, I mean he knows a lot more in his brain, but he also knows a lot more in his heart we're going to be talking about religion and politics today. It's uh, it's a difficult subject, but it's it's one that is I think certainly in my lifetime never been more important.
1: Well, and I think that uh, you know, we've we've had this series as a lot of both listeners to the podcast and readers will know, focusing on the failures of institutions in in 2020, yep. whether that's our political institutions or or other cultural institutions. And you know, we even had a, a piece that listed all of them out, especially in context of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think we've, we've basically dealt with every institution in the United States of any significance with the exception of the church.
0: And so that's what we're gonna talk about. Uh, so we're gonna talk about today. I, I think the way to frame this perhaps is uh, how David French, who you know, Rusty and I are both admirers of, 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 of his work, uh, but he's been writing recently also as is rusty from a position of of faith of of belief uh in you know not just knowledge about the church but 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 real faith there uh but he's talked about the 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 christian insurrection of january 6th and the the role that evangelical christianity in the united states played in all of that and all of the the build-up to that i think that Rusty, you correct me if I'm wrong, but but where Rusty wants to take this is not just the buildup to January 6th and the role that the evangelical Christian church played in that, but really more importantly, talk about where our politics and our faith goes from here, right? Because it's, it's, it didn't stop with January 6th and it's... Uh, uh, and and that the, the role of words and narratives, both words and narratives of faith, words and narratives of politics, they continue to come together. They continue to, I, I think, add to a tide that's getting larger, not 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 receding. So that's why we really wanted to focus on this today.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I share your, your observations about about David's work and that he's done on this topic, which I would describe as being. First, courageous mm-hmm. and, and second, a hundred percent right on on functionally any point that I can think of. Um, yeah, I disagree with with nothing that he's that he's written about the topic. And you know, at the at the core of it is just so we're because I think it's important when we talk about a topic like this for us to be very specific, to yep. to abstract as little as possible, to generalize as little as possible. In most of these pieces, David French's point boils down to Christian leaders. Their rhetoric and their language were at the very center of the efforts to dispute the 2020 election mm-hmm. and at the center of the events that took place on January 6th. And specifically, not just Christian leaders, but leaders within what we call the evangelical church more broadly, right? The white evangelical church. Well, and 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 I think that's that gets to, to the, I think, the complication at, at using a term like even evangelical, yeah. much less white evangelical. First of all, it's a term that is is, is very um, muddy in and yep. of itself. Um, I think if you asked every evangelical in America what it meant to be evangelical, they would give you you know, 120 million different answers. And I think if you ask every media outlet, um, they would give you a bunch of answers that were very different from the 120 million you got at first. And there are a million definitions, right? You know, some people you would ask, what does it mean to be an evangelical? And they would say, well, it, it means that I define my faith as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, as opposed to adherence to some set of articles of mm-hmm. faith or, or, or some doctrine necessarily. Some people might say, whether from the inside or outside, that it, what me, what it means to be evangelical is to describe yourself as being a... Born-again Christian. Other, you mm-hmm. know, there's ways of mm-hmm. defining it by, you know, membership or non-membership in, in one of the major denominations. You know, the idea being that the evangelical church tends to encompass Southern Baptists and a lot of non-denominational or, you know, non-denominational adjacent churches, right? That that's a whole dimension to it. Or, or even the sort of root of the term, which is the idea of, you know, Christians who are very focused on sharing the gospel and making it manifest and having this sort of experiential relationship with the gospel, right? There, there are a lot of different ways to to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want to, I, I think we should probably take the the most expansive view of that. Okay. But I mean, the, the white evangelical term, the, and this is the other, you know, the the other pitfall of, of using some of these terms to describe what we're talking about. White evangelical is sort of this very recent term of art within, I think, mostly outside the church commentary, yep. for sure, which um, is... At least, in my opinion, usually intended to apply a very political lens to you know the question of the church, and 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 I think in a lot of cases ascribe to a much broader set of individuals both accountability and culpability for some of the events that took place. And and you know just to be clear, because again I want to be specific about a lot of this, I think there are tens of millions of Americans, and you feel free to push back on this if you like. Okay, I think there are tens of millions of Americans who acted in good faith to vote for Donald Trump. I think there are tens of millions of evangelical or white evangelical Americans who acted in good faith in voting for Donald Trump. And what I mean by acting in good faith is, I think they sat down. I think they looked at the candidates that were there. They looked at the policy platforms that they thought they would represent. They looked at their own values. They looked at their own beliefs. And they said, this is the candidate who I, in good faith, believe is going to best represent my interest. And in many cases they did so holding their nose for various reasons and saying, this is the best of a bad couple of options. And, but I, but I believe that ten, tens of millions okay. acted in good faith. But, but we're not,
0: I mean, all right. I'm, I'm happy to stipulate that because what we're not, we're not talking about the vote, right? What we're talking about is what came after the vote, which was the, I'll call it movement to dispute you know, not just to, to dispute, but to deny the results of the election, and to take different actions as a result of that. And and it seems to me, and you can push back on me if I'm wrong about this, but but there is a there is a distinction between I'll call it the white church and the black church on on that dimension, probably on the the underlying you know who'd you vote for dimension as well that. I I, I think we are merging a lot of 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 again issues of faith and issues of politics here. But it but but it it seems to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong. But it it seems to me that there is at least a (laughs) a demographic nature of this and of the 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 schism that's happened here that uh, has 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 that that that. That epithet, which I, I think is usually used as an epithet, call it the white evangelical movement. Yes, but but I but I think that there is a reality to that, or 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 no,
1: or is it a reality that doesn't make a difference? So I'll, I'll take it actually a little bit further than okay. that, which is to say that the the narratives which allowed not not just allowed but almost necessitated a lot mm-hmm. of what we saw coming out of the elections, actually even, even referring to white evangelicals, I think is, is too broad. Okay. Um, And, and, and I want to be, I want to be fair and open about this and saying that, you know, there are very mainstream leaders within the very mainstream evangelical church in America who did not only sort of vote for Donald Trump in, in good faith, but supported him to a degree that started to look very much like, you know, what the faith would call idolatry, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we we've got the very familiar example, very recently, of you know Franklin Graham going on social media and, um, I think saying the quiet part out loud and yep. you know using the analogy that the you know the the congressmen who were on the Republican side who were willing to entertain uh, the impeachment of Donald Trump were Judases who ex- yeah. accepted silver from Nancy Pelosi, who in this analogy is presumably. You know Pontius Pilate. Yeah. And uh, I'll I'll give you three guesses as to who who that makes Donald Trump in the analogy. And <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And and so yeah. this there there was even within the very mainstream evangelical church a belief among many of these leaders that was propagated as missionaries of narrative as we talk about it. And so you know in a both figurative and and literal you know definition of the word missionary, they were very active in in promoting this narrative that Donald Trump and his election were the will of god. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to downplay that that absolutely happened at the highest levels of of mainst- in the within the mainstream evangelical church. What I will say however is that as you kind of alluding to your prior point, the narratives which I think will permit this movement to exist long after Donald Trump has sort of, you know, faded into the, you know, the the, the rough at the the golf course near Mar-a-Lago or, or whatever right, it may right. be, those, those took place and were promoted from a specific area, even within the, the evangelical church. So okay. not only do I think it's, you know, could you collapse, you know, evangelicalism to, you know, this idea of white evangelicalism. I actually think that the, the real item of concern and the the promotion of narratives is coming from a, a smaller group, even within that, but it's not that small. Yeah. And, and so-
0: Tell us, yeah, first of all, let me say, so if it's a, if it's a, if we're talking about, we're starting with kind of the evangelical church in America, narrowing it down to this, this smaller group that you're describing is even smaller than, I'll call it white evangelical. What, 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 what name would you give that, right? Is it, is it, I'll, I'll so I'll use the phrase, you is it white nationalist evangelicalism? I mean, is that the, the right phrase so again it's
1: one of those things where it, de- it depends on who you ask um you know a a noted what i would describe as very responsible mm-hmm. and, and and lovely christian leader by the name of beth moore um uh, described it as as christian nationalism okay but i think that's a a more expansive definition of what i'm talking about which is where i think the source of and the sort of the wellspring of these narratives was from what i would call this group which is you know, it's, it's, it's a term that would be used by, I think a lot of people is the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Okay. And, and it's sort of charismatic dash Pentecostal because those are two kind of separate faith traditions in the United States. That movement within the United States. There have been others who refer to it and you'll see this referred to this way on the internet as the the new uh, apostolic reformation. Okay. A, N-A-R, right? So <laughs> this idea that-
0: Oh, they have initials and everything. Oh, and, yeah. And, and
1: it's a self-applied term. So okay. I, I think it was C. Peter Wagner. There was a specific- scholar of this this theology who promoted this idea of the new apostolic reformation i'm going to call it in our discussion the, the charismatic pentecostal got movement. it now I'm, got I'm, it. I'm guessing you're probably not familiar with all that but i'm guessing you have at least some vision in your mind of what what pentecostal means
0: yeah 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 i'm from alabama what, what, yeah I mean, what's a pentecostal
1: then <laughs> I,
0: I mean i think Say I'm, what
1: you think i know i know exactly what you're I, thinking
0: i you know i think Tent revivals. I think Ernest Angley, he was the, the 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 guy I saw on, you know, Sunday morning shows. And that's that's what I think, Rusty. And probably speaking in tongues. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we had snake handlers in uh in North
1: Alabama Did where you I'm really? from.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's a whole thing. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Well, and 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 less less it be seen that I'm I'm being critical of this particular group in, in other ways. I grew up in a charismatic church. Yeah. Right. And and I've gone to charismatic churches for most of my life. I and most of those churches, there's a, a group of churches that came out of California called the Vineyard Church. It's charismatic church. That's where I spent most of my my life going to church as the the terrible Christian and you know horrible human being that I am. And I, a lot of the rest of the time was in Calvary Chapel churches, which is another charismatic church. And so I have fondness for the also the tens of millions of people because this movement again. Is still whoa.
0: Whoa, tens of millions of people. See, th- this is the part that when we started discussing this, Rusty. Yeah, you know, and you were walking me through, you know, the, the the abbreviations and the. And it's like, I, 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 and I, I liked my think of myself as a well-read and worldly and knowledgeable person. I had no freaking idea. So, describe for everyone listening to this. When you say tens of millions, you are not exaggerating. So.
1: When I, stepping back for a moment to actually yeah. describe, what is the group we're talking about? We are talking about Pentecostal churches and sort of what I would say are quasi-Pentecostal churches, which are fundamentally those who are attached to the Assemblies of God, which is mm-hmm. your largest sort of formalized group of, of Pentecostal churches in America. And then there are a lot of churches that at one time formally were part of the Assemblies of God, but then went more independent and still characterize themselves as being Pentecostal, right? The, the term Pentecostal is a reference to Pentecost, right? Which is, um, you know, a, a specific event within the Book of Acts in which the yep. Holy Spirit comes down, and you know what? It's a it's a reference to you know the, how the Holy Spirit acts through the the apostles at that point, which is includes things like speaking in tongues, snake handling, no snake, no <laughs> snake handling that I'm aware of, but you know, speaking prophecies, and yep. then you know, exercising spiritual discernment, the, you know the the discernment of actual spirits. Um, the, that are present in space. And so these, the Pentecostal attachment to, to gifts is part of a broader way of describing not just this group but the broader evangelical movement, which is an experiential gospel, which I happen to think is a really good thing, right? The the Both the evangelical church that em- emerged in the United States, and then the charismatic and Pentecostal churches that emerged, emerged from a desire for an authentic feeling faith, right? A lot of these movements in the charismatic space in particular came out of kind of hippie culture in 60s and, and 70s California hmm. that looked at the old churches and said, we're going through all these traditions. We're doing the liturgies. We're doing this. This doesn't feel real to me. You know, I want Jesus to, to feel more real. I want you know, I want to live. And it came from a very earnest place. And I think it still does, again, for tens of millions of Americans. And, you know, the Pentecostal movement is, is, is much older, um, but, you know, specifically the charismatic movement, which is the larger of the two, is, is very similar but usually with a little bit less of an emphasis on speaking in tongues, a little bit more of an emphasis on other gifts. But the word charismatic in the description of these churches is not a discussion of, you know, does the pastor get up there? Is he very convincing and warm and kind and oh, see, I charismatic? Kind of thought, I kind of thought that's what it was. No, it's a reference to the Greek. It means gifts. Oh, okay. It's a church that acts through the gifts. And so what you have within, you know, the charismatic Pentecostal movement are churches that believe in an active working of The Holy Spirit through gifts given to individual believers, which among them are the gift of of prophecy to know and speak God's will um, at any given moment, or knowledge about what, what, you know, the words of knowledge, things that may come to pass in the future, and the the discernment of spirits. And so within both the Charismatic and the Pentecostal churches, those are, you know, almost uniformly held beliefs.
0: Wait, so, okay, so. there are these gifts so, and the two main gifts are prophecy and discernment, or there are lots of gifts that, that there are, that, there are, there are range. Those are the two that are most important
1: for well, the, we're going to talk how about. I'm going to be kind of talking about this. Story. Okay. How do you know if you have one of these gifts? So, you know, it's, it's, there's actually a, a series of ways in which the, they're, they're weighed and tested. And so usually it would, you know, within the, um, in the Pentecostal church in particular, the the, the the first experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is usually recognized during the first demonstration of one of these gifts. But for example, the gift of prophecy is one of these things where two or three prophets are supposed to speak at once. And then, you know, elders within the community are supposed to judge whether or not they believe that word has come from God. So there, there are, there are wow. all sorts of different descriptions, you know, within the modern church, um, it's become sort of, um, I think in a lot of ways, focus grouped a little bit where you know, would you join some, some churches, they'll, they'll have you go online and, and do a sort of assessment test to determine whether you might have a spiritual gifting in certain areas. And, you know, I think in most cases that there's, there's follow-up from there and, and engagement with people to determine if, if that's something they have. But yeah, I mean, in, 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 there are specific qualifications and descriptions of how that evaluation is supposed to take place. And most of the, the leaders,
0: the, the, the pastors, the preachers are, 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 are Major followings in in the charismatic Pentecostal church. So they they had they are seen as having the gift of prophecy. This is this is
1: not necessarily okay. Okay. So okay. and 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 actually, I would say that's generally so. Your position in terms of pastoring itself as a gift, right? Okay. The you know the the ability to to lead, right. Which is what pastoring means. It means right, right. You know, to to be the gathering the yeah. sheep, right. Yeah. That, that itself is, is, is a gift uh, that that's given to some, the gift of teaching, may be a gift that's given to others. You know, in the American church, we've kind of merged pastoring and teaching into one thing. Um hmm. But, you know, the Bible describes it a, a little bit separately, but yeah, uh, and, and it is not necessarily the case that, that most pastors within these churches would themselves, you know, consider themselves to be prophets or apostles, but it's certainly the, the case in a, in a number of instances. And as we'll talk about I think as we as we tell the story, a lot of the people who who are and describe themselves as prophets are unaffiliated with any individual church body. Oh, OK. They are they are itinerant preachers in the sort of very literal sense of of the word. Wow. So
0: you mentioned the word apostle. So so prophets, they, they, they see themselves I mean they are they are seen as. Apostles like the twelve I mean, I mean, I know I'm asking silly. This this no, sounds no. as crazy questions, but it, but it's coming from the position of just knowing nothing about this. It's like learning. Oh, there's this entire, and this is what you're saying. There, it's not just a subculture. You know, it's not just like you know, circus people. You, you, there there are tens of millions of Americans that are that are part of this. There are,
1: and 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 I had no idea, and and most of them, again, quite lovely and and quite smart. And and it's a set of beliefs, and you know, the 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 apostolic idea, right, is is itself not, I actually think, quite a pleasant idea, right, which is that 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 a leader who is anointed by God, Mm -hmm. right, and who acts out their faith in a very demonstrable way may be a better way to think about leadership than whoever right. is, the, is the most politically successful within sort of the, the social- the bureaucracy
0: of, 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 of the, the, church the institution, body. yeah. Right, yeah. and and so- It's a very American
1: thing, right? It is, well, and, and- I mean, is it? I mean, is this a very American so, phenomenon? So it's interesting because as we get into what the recipe was for kind of what, what I'm referring to in the name of this podcast, right? Which is the, the Gnostic nationalist narrative, right? The, the recipes that led to this, are not uniquely American, okay? But they are dis- they are pretty distinctly American, and and I actually mean that in the the lowercase a sense. This is a very new world thing. Okay. The, the the and and to some extent Africa, right? There is not a large Pentecostal charismatic movement in in Europe. There's certainly I mean there's there's not a large Christian movement in Asia, right. Asian countries. It is a a very heavily American meaning north america central america and south american hmm. phenomenon and and as we sort of get into the ingredients that led to i think this specific set of circumstances the first among those is almost uniquely american right and so as as i kind of go through each of these these five components this first one is the one which i would say has emerged Most recently, kind of in the last thirty to thirty-five years, and what I'm kind of building up to is what was necessary to create the narratives that created what David French has talked about, which is the situation where you know evangelical Christian leaders, their rhetoric and their language were at the center of these efforts to dispute the election and the events of January six. And the and the events of January six. Okay. So the the first part of the recipe is what is called Dominion theology. All right. Right. So, you know, dominion theology is not a, a new thing, but it is a relatively new, relatively American theology that I would say in any significance has emerged in the last 50 years and in any real size has emerged in the last 15 to 20 years. And so dominion theology is, uh, you know, just described very simply. And I know there are a lot of different, you know, f- frameworks for thinking about it. You know, some of the ones we're, we'll talk about here or frame it as seven mountains theology, but it is at its root, the belief that a role of the church and the role of Christians, or one of the roles or the chief roles is to transform and take dominion over various facets of culture. And one of the chief among them is government. So specifically dominion theology or seven mountains theology is the belief that the church is to transform and take dominion over government, arts, academia, media well, 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 so yeah. i
0: mean a, a, just an outright theocracy I, I mean that that's i mean i mean is is that like it's like iran right i, I mean
1: am i wrong i so i i won't i, I think you're wrong yes okay. I, I don't okay. think okay. okay i don't think that is what is in the hearts of the people who promote the idea i may be giving a bit too much grace there all right generally speaking i think those who describe that idea still believe in the ideas of achieving that in democratic ways or the the narrative of achieving that in democratic ways they want to influence the culture in the way other people want to influence the culture whether it's you know right right right-leaning people wanting to influence the culture and the government in the direction of right-leaning people left-leaning people wanting more left-wing people in government the dominion theologists have more to believe religious people. They want more religious in people in government so that it can be religious policies can be, or,
0: or policies that are commensurate with those religious beliefs are
1: implemented. Yeah, that's right. Okay. okay. That's right. And, and, and I think I, I would distinguish okay. that from a, purely theocratic. I would, government. I would too, I would too. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that in many of these cases, it you'll, you'll, you won't be surprised to learn there's a tremendous overlap with an adoration for constitutional and sort of founders, yep, the you know principles of, of why America was established. There is a very, and I, I don't know if it's sort of our, our mimetic patriotic or mm-hmm. patriot yay patriotism, or whether it's, you know, in every case a, a truly kind of patriotic sense that underlies it. But there is a belief that look, God wants America to be a godly Christian country, and he wants Got the it. church to exert significant effort to bring that about.
0: So Dominion theology is not the church becomes the state it's that church goers and believers
1: they are the ones who should run the state and 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 transform it in into god's image and and based on god's will okay and it's emerged in the last 50 years mostly because it's really 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 hard to foot this theology with anything that's in the actual bible (laughs) I see. Right. So, you know, the, when you look at, you know, the book of John chapter 18, it's pretty explicit. So, you know, you'll, you'll know the story, whether you've read the Bible or just see Jesus Christ superstar, right? You know, this is the, the sort of famous story where Jesus is talking to Pilate. He's been handed over mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Pilate asks Jesus, he says, so are you, uh, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus being, you know, as we've talked about, just such a delight says, so are you asking me or did someone else ask you, right? He doesn't answer the question. Yeah. And and Pilate says, look, I'm, I'm I'm not Jewish. They're the ones who handed you over. And, and uh, you know, what, what Jesus explicitly says is my kingdom is not of, of this world, right? If it were, my followers would have kept me from getting captured, right? It's, it, it's an explicit expression, right? That the, 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 the conquest, or the the idea that 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 of Jesus' goal is to yeah. establish dominion over over these hearts, worldly things, is, yeah. is is very different from the dominion over hearts, which yeah. is you know a uh, much more dear to a lot of the gospel. And there, there's other examples of this as well, but nonetheless, it's it's become a really um, a a very popular theology, not just within where I think it originated, which is particularly within the charismatic Pentecostal church, but more broadly within the evangelical church. And some of that has to do with the second part of this recipe. Okay. Right. Which is the, the language of, and the belief in what, what is called spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, which is, which is biblical. Um, So the the idea behind spiritual warfare is that there are in fact spirits at work, both for good and ill. Mm -hmm. And that one of the roles of, of believers is to, to intercede to influence the outcome of events in the world. And so this is a very consistent with the event, not just charismatic Pentecostalism, but with evangelicalism, because the idea is that the Holy Spirit is active in the world and working in the world. And one of the roles of believers is to call upon and, and you know, be a supplicant to, to God, to work through the Holy Spirit, to make certain things happen. When, when, when people in a, a very conservative Baptist church pray for healing for someone in the community that's, that's, that's undergoing an illness, for peace and the relief of, of, of grief from the loss of a loved one, for prosperity for their community, for wisdom for leaders. All of these, these prayers are themselves prayers for intercession of God in the affairs of men. And so there is a, there is a root of this idea of spiritual warfare in the entire Christian tradition. Right. But within evangelicalism and within the charismatic Pentecostalism in, in that movement, there has been over the last, again, kind of 30 to 40 years, mm-hmm. almost commensurate with this emergence of dominion theology, a particular focus on the intersection of that spiritual world, right? The spiritual kingdom that Jesus says he did come to establish right, with the physical world. So, you know, you, you will probably remember from, I think it was the 1990s, the, uh, the series of of Christian apocalyptic fiction called Left Behind do you yeah. remember this yeah sure and then the, the Kirk Cameron movie yep 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 and 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 so the whole idea here was evil spirits are at work and they're working through government leaders and corporate leaders and religious leaders and it's the job of individual members in the church to to intercede and to do to do warfare and combat to wow. prevent those things from taking place and and it's a very vague delineation between what is the spiritual world, right. what is the, the 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 material world, whether it's warfare between spirits, right, yeah. or warfare, <laughs> right,
0: you know, to to help your side. Right? That's
1: right. And and so hmm. this the idea behind intercession is a beautiful one, right? It, it's it's this idea that that someone would devote time and meditation and and part of their relationship with God to trying to bring about some. Positive outcome for another person, or for a community, or for or for for a country. Whether or not you believe that it works, whether or not you believe that it's real, the intent in the heart of most people who say who think of themselves as as intercessors and and spiritual warriors, right, is in my opinion undeniably good. But as you start to think about the last thirty or forty years, how that language has manifested, it is almost exclusively at that intersection of what's going on in the spiritual world with the material world, specifically through how it intersects in government, you know, there was a, even in the eighties, there was a a very popular series. Um, It was, you know, piercing the darkness and this present darkness. And and there was a lot of this kind of uh, apocalyptic Christian fiction, which was really devoted to the, to the how the spiritual world was influencing the material world and how that, that, that really Mm -hmm. put an onus on believers to kind of push back against that in, in how they prayed and how they lived their lives. And so, for reasons that I'll I'll get to in, in, a, in a few minutes when we kind of talk about what the outcome has been. Yeah. That was a really important ingredient for, for all this to take place.
0: All right. So first was dominion theology. Second was spiritual warfare.
1: Yeah. What's third. The third is one that we've talked about before, because when we talk about the language of spiritual warfare, I talked about a belief in the spirit of discernment, the ability yep. to discern spirits if you are a believer in spiritual warfare and you believe you have, oh, I see to that makes sense. Spirits, right?
0: So, so if you're going to engage in spiritual warfare, you have to have someone tell you, okay, there is a,
1: a bad spirit in action. There's a bad spirit in action on that news reporter, which yeah. we'll get back to or yeah. on yeah. that political leader. And that, that, that spirit is, is an enemy of God. Right. And, wow. and must be responded to. And so the third is, is, is linked to one of the other spiritual gifts we refer, referenced earlier, which is the the belief in the prophetic. And so that, that third recipe is that within the charismatic Pentecostal church, it is broadly understood that certain individuals, and, and as, as you sort of questioned before, that they're, they're not, necessarily, you know, most pastors in these churches are not, most charismatic churches in America probably do not have somebody actively getting up in front of the congregation and prophesying Okay, at all. It just, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't really happen, right? I mean, most, most of these churches, the underlying intent is a very experiential Mm-hmm. Form of Christianity, and it so happens in most cases that that also overlaps with with churches that believe in a very active, and engaging Holy Spirit that that works through these gifts. And so, in most churches, those things are, are are not being seen at all. That said, there is generally a common knowledge that there are prophets in the modern day. There are people who who hear from God. There are people who receive words of knowledge about what is going to take place in the future, and that those words of prophecy and those words of knowledge should be taken into account with what other prophets are saying to determine whether God is in fact saying something to the church, to America, and to the world. Okay. So I I think I can kind
0: of see where this is going. So when you combine dominion theology, spiritual warfare, and the the gift of discernment to say, okay, there's a, a bad spirit acting on this person or that person, and a gift or a belief in, in in prophecy, as you said, kind of common knowledge, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that everyone knows that prophecy is real and it exists and it manifests itself. And these people who every, again, everyone knows who everyone knows they're a prophet. I, I see where this is going. So, 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 what's the what are There's the two last? more? Okay,
1: okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So, when when most people think of Christian media. Right, mm-hmm. the way and you know the bull. As we talk about in our in our narrative work, what are the bullhorns? What are the platforms through which narratives are promoted? In a lot of cases, it's traditional media outlets. Increasingly, it is very influential. You know, whether it's streaming or YouTube or or other you know more non traditional media outlets, or whether it's through through social media, there are a lot of Christian outlets. And I think if you ask most people whether the 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 preponderance of those outlets was you know, largely followed the distribution of church membership in the United States, the assumption would probably be, yeah, it's a good prior. It's a good, you know, baseline guess. Yeah. Um, It's not. Um, And, you know, I think the, the second question would be, well, then is it generally representative of the evangelical church at large? No, it's not. Is it generally representative of the white evangelical church? It's not. So specifically what I mean by this is, the the two largest television networks with any okay. kind of christian programming the you know the first one cbn yes pat robertson right so pat robertson it was once upon a time uh what i would describe as a, a traditionally evangelical um at some point he he transitioned from being more pure kind of second baptist or, or southern baptist uh, theology to being a full-blown charismatic and to someone who is you know, actively prophesying and describing what he believes the word of God is CBN is led and, and, and operates with a programming that is very heavily prophetic pro- and, and charismatic Pentecostal and okay. it's programming TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is, you know, and I don't know the comparable size of these, just that they are the most kind of influential and, 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 and kind of wide reaching okay. networks. TBN was founded through the assembly of God, right. As a Pentecostal network they've made some efforts over the last few years to diversify away from that very exclusive Pentecostally oriented programming. But generally speaking, it it remains a very heavily tilted in that direction. The, with sort of the non-traditional networks distributed through cable, the victory channel, Mm -hmm. which used to be called the believer's voice of victory is run by Kenneth Copeland ministries. Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland. Now you you, you've seen, you know, I've seen, I, I
0: do. I do
1: so. In Kenneth Copeland is is abs- I think that name of the church. For, I think it's Eagle Mountain Church is the sort of church body that that he's attached to that is affiliated with Kenneth Copeland Ministries. But Kenneth Copeland Ministries owns Victory Channel, and Victory Channel is you know was, is, is increasingly influential um, in you know in, in in really publishing Christian media and and, and outlets here um, within the the streaming space, mm-hmm. by which I mean churches who derive as much of their Viewership from people who are watching it online, as as actually are coming into so the these services, are YouTube YouTube channels
0: mostly, You're...
1: or proprietary um, uh, church streams, which which are are quite popular as well. But YouTube oh. is usually the most the most common. Most of these churches that get a lot of that online viewership fall within what's generally described as prosperity gospel or word of faith traditions. So you, you know think of prosperity gospel and word of faith as as people who say, look. You give to the ministry and you vest and, and God will give it back to you a hundredfold, right? Or you oh, yeah. declare yeah. what God's will for your life is and make it manifest, right? That that's the idea of 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 word of faith churches. That is an almost exclusively charismatic Pentecostal tradition. Right. Right. So when now you're seeing the the three kind of biggest traditional media outlets, plus plus, plus streaming, plus the, the most popular streaming churches within America.
0: I mean, I mean, do you have any idea, I mean, how many viewers will one of these YouTube videos
1: get? Oh, it, it, I mean, it, it depends vastly on, on, on who we're talking about. Right. In certain cases, I mean, if it's a particularly influential sermon, it could be it could be upwards of, of a million. But I mean, for most, it, it's really more of a dozens of yes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than speakers it's a concentrated. Getting, yeah, yeah, right, and they're getting right. four hundred or 500,000 views Good Lord. On, on, on something they're, they're, they're publishing. But it goes beyond that too, because as I mentioned before, a lot of this is happening through what I would say are ministries or itinerant preachers. Mm-hmm. And so within the charismatic church in particular, you'll get people who travel from church to church and they publish primarily through Facebook, their website, you know, advertise it on Twitter. And then, you know, they're using, um, uh, YouTube, uh, as the, the repository for it. And, you know, these ministries themselves are, are ones that especially during kind of this period that we're talking about, you know, they're getting half a million you know views on, on on each of these videos that they're promoting on a daily basis alone. And so almost all of this this network of, of social media and YouTube tends to be from the Charismatic Pentecostal Church. And that's not all. Okay. Because and, and this is where the, the expanse goes well beyond the influence of you know Charismatic Pentecostal churches into the broader evangelical church. You know, the and and the evangelical church today. The vast majority of churches have moved from kind of the traditional, you know, pianist and choir way of, of doing worship to one that has a, a kind of full-blown band mm-hmm. that's got, you know, guitars, drums, you know, you know piano player, multiple vocalists, um, you know, and, and you know, has a, has a very kind of traditional setup like that, which has really occurred kind of over the last 25 to 30 years. You know, it started within the charismatic Pentecostal churches. And it's moved to really encompass most of uh, of um, you know the the evangelical church as well. And again, this is another one of those things that I, I think is great yeah. in general, right? Uh, it's not that I don't like traditional church music, which I do, um, it, but it happens to be the case that I think people are coming and saying, we want, when people come in to worship, we want them to have it, an authentic experience, experience and not feel like they're doing something that is a, a ritual that they the, the, at least for them is empty because i don't think ritual has to be empty but I think a lot of people were experiencing some of the ritual of worship that to them felt old-fashioned and, and finding that it was that it was for them an empty experience well every major producer of the the songs that get played mm-hmm. and and, and, and the, mm-hmm. the theology that's essentially promoted right throughout the evangelical church is coming from churches that are of the charismatic Pentecostal oh, wow. movement and so whether it's- um, Well, that's, that's that great line that I like to use, right? I, I
0: care not who, it was Andrew Fletcher, the Scottish yes. you know, patriot said, I care not who writes the laws, let me
1: write the songs. And, it, and and it is the, in both literal and figurative sense, it is the charismatic Pentecostal church This writing is, the songs. This writing the songs. And so in a narrative sense, yeah. right? Because well, I want to bring this back to how the narrative was promoted. The, the, the charismatic Pentecostal church, which I, I haven't actually said the number before yeah. now, which encompasses, depending on how you define it, anywhere from 30 to 75 million Americans. Oh my God. <laughs> it's a big group. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's a big and I know group. you're saying
1: just because you, you didn't know this. Yeah. I mean, and again, I, yeah. most of these are great churches, um, but the, the, the narratives that were being promoted hit so far above the weight of the size of the institutions mm-hmm. that I think that the, the, the weight that they carry and the narratives that are established for what is the church doing in America? What, are, what, what does it mean to be white evangelical? What does it mean to be an evangelical? Right. What What does it mean to be a Christian? Right? All of those things, the, the, the influence that these churches and these, I think, leaders within this Charism- charismatic Pentecostal movement have is really outsized. And that's in normal conditions. So now we right. get to sort of the fifth ingredient, okay. which is 2020 was the year of a pandemic, of isolation, and of reliance on streaming media. So Right In a normal year, right. the narrative power of, of these, you know, apostolic ministries of the, the you know, the prophetic churches. The TBNs, oh, the, 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 the And, the, it's, and it's victory enormous. channels and, right. and, and the, the social and streaming. In 2020, it was magnified. In 2020, it was magnified. And I don't mean just magnified because people were sitting at home not listening to their own church, which wasn't running services or mm-hmm. was struggling to do a good streaming service, you know, which, which I do mean. But I, but I also mean that it was, it was magnified because these people were not having interaction with other right. people of faith, right? right? They were not right. having physical conversations in which something you saw on the internet or something you heard in the sermon, you were going to lunch afterward and talking with someone about yep. it. And so all of a sudden you have these, these feeds of information coming into millions of households from a very concentrated set of, of sources that are now starting to tell a very specific story. And you're not getting any voices speaking in your ear. Hey, saying, like, hey, wait a minute. Exercising discernment. Right. Uh, and right. and yeah. the and what those voices began to say in, in in late 2019. Okay. And it and it became a resounding chorus by November 2020 was God wants Christians to take dominion over government. God chose Donald Trump to do this. God has told the prophets that Donald Trump would win. And if you oppose this, you oppose the will of God. Oh man. Well, yeah, that'll do it. And it and it was it was a really powerful and 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 I want to talk a little bit about how that that narrative was created using those those five recipes. Because when you see it in action, you start to see, oh, and and, and I'm not you know, excusing the, the leaders for having come up with it just from a logical perspective, it, it becomes very clear how the process for creating that narrative that, that God chose D- Donald Trump, that he, that was God's will. Yeah. That God had told people that was apps. He was absolutely going to get a second term. And if you oppose it, you're getting in the way of God, how yeah. that, how did that
0: well emerged? I'll tell you what I said. So I, I want to hear that, right. Because that's what we do. We talk about narratives and the way they're formed. And so, so I, as a, as a, I'll call it a student of this. I'm very interested in in how did this happen? But just as a an observer of the plot here, I'm also really interested to know well, well what happens when the prophecy didn't come true. So 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 and I, and I and I think that's where we're going to end up, but it is. But but so. So so yeah, let's 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 talk about about how the the narrative was formed. But I really can't wait to get to the the uh, act three here.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 definitely spend our time there okay. because again, that's that is where where I have concern. Right? Yes, yes, yes. How does does this does this end now that reality has shown that all those things were were false, right? And and right. the answer that I'm going to give you is not going to be comforting. So don't don't be look for don't look forward to a, a you know an exciting and optimistic finish. Although I do think we have one. So act two. Okay, okay. Act two, <clears throat> act two, the formation of these narratives. All right. So at a high level, this idea of, of, of the prophetic does have some descriptions you know, in the Bible and how we evaluate it and all of that. In practice, there is what I would describe as, and I, I'm giving air quotes here mm-hmm. the, the people on the podcast aren't going to be able to hear, but the air quotes are what the prophets say or what the prophets are saying there is a very embedded notion familiar to readers of Epsilon theory of common knowledge. What everybody knows that everybody knows is an important part of how this movement within the church interprets the meaning of the prophetic, right? The idea that multiple different prophets are having the same dreams, hearing the same word from God, making the same predictions, has, does not have a linear effect on its believability. Right. It has right. a very non-linear believability very non-linear. effect, yep. 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 which means, as we know well, because we are all metagame players, that if you are trying to create and bolster that narrative and that common knowledge, you would start by establishing what everyone knew. That everyone, everyone that right? lots of other prophets
0: are saying. How, say yeah, how yeah. do you
1: How do you tell a story about yourself? You do it by telling people what the story is, right? You yes. lead with the story you want people to tell about you. And that's exactly what happened here. Okay. Right. So uh, in a number of years ago, and, and I will move through this so we can get to act three, a number of years ago, there was a, 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 a prophet who went from church to church, whose name was Kim Clement. Um, and uh, and uh, this is a man, Mr. Clement was, was very famous for, for singing his prophecies, right? So he'd be playing at the piano and would be, you know, engaged in, in a song, right. It would be mm-hmm. leading the, the church in a, in a worship song, and then would sort of move into the, the prophecy so he was referred to as the the singing prophet so a few years ago and this is um I, this is really more after donald trump got elected when people were starting to talk about the the his is his second re re-election chance okay there was a there was a series of videos and then excerpts which started to make the rounds on the internet which attributed to kim clement this, this old prophet who since passed away. Okay. This uh, that he was prophesizing about Donald That Trump. Donald Trump would win a second term. And okay. so the, the video, <laughs> you could still find one on YouTube, right? It's, it's, it's gone through several iterations. And um, you know, the idea was let's, we need to find people from the past who've established that this is part of quote, what the prophets are saying, end quote. And so the, the specifically what they attribute to Kim Clement is, is in, in, in one message that he gave in, I think, 2007, he said and trump shall be a trumpet right and it references trump and kind of nothing else and then later in that message and in another one that he gave um i think six months later or something mm-hmm. like that clement specifically references that he will raise up a uh, a leader who will not go in praying but will leave the office praying and he will give him two terms and so you should put together some of the things that mr clement said in 2007 you say wow Trump's going to be a trumpet and, you know, God's going to give him t- two terms and he's going to go in print pray- not praying and come out not praying. That sounds like Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. And, um, what you actually see when you, when you look at the way these, these texts and these videos were cleverly cut is that they, they cut off the video just before and just after a specific reference to the next eight years and the next president
0: for oh, wow. prophecies
1: given in 2007. He's yeah. talking about Obama. Kim Clement was talking about Obama, but. Holy. And, and, and of course God. I have, I, I don't, I don't want to even, I have no idea if Kim Clement was hearing from God or if he has no. He was no, just no, 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 no. That's not.
0: right. But, but what was interesting is, so someone went back to those videos, spliced out.
1: The next two terms.
0: The <laughs> so, splice and attached it to the reference about Trump.
1: That's correct. Oh man. Do I mean, so do do we know who did that? I I don't. Um, I'm sure it's findable. Um, but it was the thing was is that you you there was a pattern of of things like this. So. <sighs> You know you um there was a liberty university which is the the university that i, I think was founded by they
0: photoshopped uh, the singing prophet basically
1: oh yeah, v- yeah they video yeah. they video shopped it yeah. yeah yeah it's 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 pretty rough and it, it it's referred to right because we get back to common knowledge yeah it's referred to in almost every prediction made by those who kind of came after right the, that's right as as the you know kim clement said so many years ago yeah Trump shall be a trumpet and they will cry impeach, impeach, and God will give them two terms. Two, two terms. And, and that isn't what he said. Right. And so, you know, but there, there was a desire to bring it into the common knowledge. There are other things too. So Liberty University, you know, referenced a, a firefighter who predicted that Trump would be president. They made a whole movie out of it called The Trump Prophecy. I haven't watched it, but, you know, there was this sort of
0: there's s- a movie. story.
1: There's a movie. There's uh, a movie. And storytelling about it. The most, and, and this is my opinion, not a fact, the most important, however, Description actually came before Donald Trump's first election, Uh and this came from a one of these what I would describe as you know people who run a ministry in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and it was the the Cyrus prophecy. So, are you? I'm familiar with this one. Yeah, yeah. So the idea behind this, um, when it was originally promoted, is that um, you know I believe you know God came in a dream to this person and said you know, I got Donald Trump is going to be my, my Cyrus. And, um, and it was, and to be clear here, the the guy who had this dream did publish the book before the, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the 2016 election, you know, describing it as, you know, the Cyrus, the Cyrus president. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, King Cyrus, Persian King, um, you know, the attraction of the idea is that King Cyrus was, did not believe in the God of the Jews he did not follow the laws of the, the god of the jews and yet he acted as a savior by right. you know affecting their release, the, from, their release from babylon right captivity so as you start to think about the shaping of narrative for a donald trump presidency this 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 cyrus prophecy took a significant role right, right. because it fit how people saw him well and it, and it and it had influenced so or far his behavior right i, I mean that's right uh, it you know. gave people a very good response to the i mean how could, how could yes, this non-Christian, this, 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 this person, this, this, you know. And, and, and a lot of, and I think a lot of people sort of internalize that response as, and, and this I think is almost entirely attributable to this, this, this Cyrus mm-hmm. prophecy work is I'm not voting for him to be my priest, right. I'm not voting for him to be my pastor. And, um, you know, I think that that framing was just so important that it ended up shaping a lot of the development of, of prophecy from that point. But what we then saw start to happen is that with this base of common knowledge, there were first two, then three, then four, then five uh of these, these prophets and and, and apostles and, and itinerant preachers who over the course of late 2019 into 2020 began expressing exactly that that message, which is God has told me that Donald Donald Trump is going to get a second term. God has told me that it's God's will. And God has told me that if you, your opposition to that is is directly opposition to, to God. Well, I can see where all this goes, right? Because then if you go
0: all in on that prophecy and the prophecy has got to be right, then if the vote comes in the other way, like it did, then you've got to stop the steal. And the, the, the people then who are on the other side of that are saying, no, this, the, the election happened and it happened the way it did they're being motivated by evil spirits and you've got to do as you're saying warfare against that i i mean it seems pretty clear where all this goes right? yeah
1: so and 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 frankly the the first events after the election cemented all of those things and 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 specifically what i'm referring to is you know once once the election kind of dust had settled yeah which you know even for those of us who were sort of watching, it did take a couple of days to yes, be kind of absolutely. clear about what was going absolutely. on in Georgia, right. um, in Pennsylvania, in Arizona. And, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. and so once, and I don't remember if it was two or three days, once those two or three days had settled and we were all pretty clear that, you know, it was going in the direction of a Biden win, you know, there was a, a notable, um, you know, preacher um, from Northern California who, um, you know, he, and he was one of those who had originally said, you know, explicitly, you know, this is a prophetic word. He said this at the end of 2019. He said, this is a prophetic word you know, it's, uh, take it to the bank. God's going to give him another term because he wants it. He wants it. And he went on to say, you know, you don't want to get in the way of this movement. I don't have an angry God, but sometimes God gets angry. Right. And, and and so, but here's the thing, three days or four days after the election, he goes on Instagram and delivers what I would say is a five or six minute heartfelt, genuine apology for getting it wrong. And what do you think happened?
0: I can imagine that, that his apology was not greeted with uh, very nicely. He
1: was (laughs) savaged. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The, the responses that that came across in many cases were vile. Ye of little faith. They were deeply critical of his faith um, of his ministry. Um, They, you know, people were, you know, people who were donors threatened to to take away their support. Um, It was so powerful that you know, I hesitate to take away anyone's agency, but in this case, it forced him to retract the apology. He retracted the apology. But no. what happened at that point mm-hmm. is that everyone else who was sitting there saying, Oh my God. And and I mean the earliest yeah, ones yeah, yeah. who said, yeah. What if I got this wrong? Right. Had now once you saw
0: that, you say, Well, there's no, I'm not gonna the common
1: knowledge is now so powerful that no, no, God's gonna make this happen. And and you know, if we have and it's it's tight. You know, if we have have faith that can move a mountain. We should have faith yeah. that he can still do yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. And, and so it became so powerful that any surrender became in, in completely, you know, infeasible, impossible for all these people to consider. And so what that meant was that for the next two months that we all experienced well, two and a half months, every claim, every contention of the, the, that was made by right. the every, Trump every wild ass
0: thing about, you know, the voting systems or uh, it just, it every gets, gets single
1: thing was not just amplified. It was agreed to yeah. and forwarded and promoted in lockstep. Right. And, you know, at the same time, of course, because these, these same outlets were giving Linwood, Mike Lindell and Sidney Powell platforms. They, you know, they, they were coming on. They were actually going on the shows. They were going on the shows that were held on, for example, on the Victory Channel um, and promoting theories of dominions, you know, having, you know, I checked the, I had brought a mathematician in to check the algorithms and it's clear that electoral fraud has taken place. This is a stolen election. They promoted claims of trucked in ballots that were, that were later, um, you know, debunked. They, um, you know, asked followers to pray that the, that Vice President Pence would, Change, that God would change His mind about the the inability electors. of the Constitution to allow Him to change electors, they prayed that God would, you know, call um, state uh, legislatures to put it on their hearts to override the, the rule of the local electorate because clearly the election had been fraudulent. Um, all of that. All of that, and and whenever the events of one six took place. They were the first to get on there with claims that it was a, a false flag oh, operation it was Antifa. False flag, right? And you know, and this, this, and it, if it was just the prophecy, right? Just the idea that hey, we prophesied this would be the case and it didn't come true, you know, you could make the argument that it was it was all about faith saving. But the reality was, it's more than that. It was it was complete subordination of belief. To the re-election of Donald Trump, because and and the, and the the most interesting thing I saw on that front is the lockstep compliance with Trump administration views on both COVID and and mask yeah. wearing. And so, yeah. uh, when you look at all the events and the sort of the, the traveling, you know, prayer meetings and worship meetings that were happening to, you know, promote a lot of these these prophecies about about Trump's re-election to get people to pray for the election, which I have no problem with. I think that's you know. We should be praying for our, our leaders and peaceful elections and peaceful transition of power. Those are good things to pray for. But when they got together, you see the videos and it's in hot spots in Georgia, in Michigan, why, and completely why, maskless. Why do you think,
0: and I mean, I've got some ideas, but why do you think Trump became the instantiation of all this in such a pronounced way?
1: my opinion, you know, I, I think part of it is, does come back to the confluence of these ingredients that were not the willful action of any individual, right? It created a set of circumstances where if if your heart, whether you know it or not, wants to be influential, you see this set of circumstances, and you see a story that you could tell, and you start convincing yourself that it's a story you've, you've heard from God about Trump, and it and it becomes a mistaken but earnest belief that you are reflecting some true thing about the world when what you're in fact doing is observing this vacuum that a set of circumstances has created that's part of it i'll tell you and, and we've written this before the the unifying dimension between this this movement yeah q yeah and i think some you know the the sort of Marjorie Taylor Greene elements of of the you know the current right Republican Party, is the media and opposition to the the news media in the United States. When you believe, and and as I think any readers of Epsilon Theory will know, we will, we would never call this claim to be completely without merit. But if you believe. That the news media is not giving you a fair shake in in the court of information, in the court of public opinion. If you have been convinced that the the news media is not giving true accounts of actions, once that becomes common common knowledge within a community, there the number of things that you can then that you can say is is so dramatically reduced. It's yeah, and and it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. this source of right. both, you know, both animosity as well as the the ability to, I mean, worse, to control the flow of information. Worse as, I, as I understand is it, it's not just, it's not only that, oh,
0: the MSM, the mainstream media is telling you lies. It's that they are almost
1: literally possessed by the devil. So, and <laughs> I, it's mean, a, I
0: mean, is that kind of...
1: I will tell you if, it, if, if and again, we're, I'm not naming other than you know, what I would say are very notable public figures. I don't want to name specific names here. But if you watched the, the broadcasts, if you watch the live streams, and I, and I watched over a thousand hours of, of these, yeah. sometimes in fast forward, just to be clear, um, what you would find is that the animosity and the opposition, the, the anger that exists for the news media vastly exceeds that that's held for the Democratic Party, for Joe Biden, for Kamala Harris, for Nancy Pelosi, for almost anything. The, the news media is this object of ire. and you, you pointed out the how that intersected the with the enemy this, of the people. The enemy of the people, only the language that came out of these these ministers was was worse than enemy of the people. So you know one, one minister from South Carolina um, you know referenced in one of his his morning prayer notes, he said, "I want you to pray that God would knock the Baal prophets off their newsroom thrones." And so I think for those of you who aren't the what prophets? The Bale prophets. B-A- B-A-A-L. The, oh, I've already said, yeah, yeah. The God Baal. The, right, right. The, the, yeah, the, of, the, the calf, the, of the golden calf. Ball of the golden calf,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah. to knock the Baal prophets off their newsroom thrones sort of, you know, I think to the yet initiated may sound like a sort of throwaway yeah. religious insult.
0: Yeah.
1: um <laughs> So are you familiar with the story of the prophets of Baal from the Bible? <laughs>
0: I, I mean, I can just assume they were just, they were just murdered. Well, so, yeah. so, yeah. So the, the yeah. story,
1: the story is that, you know, Elijah, you know, wanted to prove that, you know, the, the, the God of Israel was was greater than the God of, um, you know, the, these, these worshipers of, of Baal. And so he um, essentially challenged those prophets about, I think it was 420 or 450 of them to a God off, right? Mm-hmm. So they they gathered around a, a pit with, with you know, wood and he said to them, okay, tell, your, tell, tell Baal to send down fire and you know so they did their you know the prophets of Baal did their sacrifices they they prayed to to bring down fire and nothing happened and it's great because Elijah's making fun of them the whole time it's actually a really good story and after they're done and after Elijah's done taunting them he says okay and he you know does his sacrifices praise to God and says you know make yourself known and and God sends down fire and it's amazing and everyone sees oh you know there there is one God and it's not it's not Baal and so happily everyone kind of leaves and goes home happily ever after, except the immediate next thing that happens, Elisha says, okay, now grab the prophets of Baal and take them down to the river and cut their heads off. Yeah, And and so as you start to think about the imagery and this sort of transitions into some of what I think we saw going into the events of January 6th, the imagery does not leave a lot to the imagination. No. Do I think that this this minister from South Carolina is literally calling for people to, to commit violence against media members? I really don't. I really think he's using the language of 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 spiritual warfare in a way that is irresponsible, right? He's he's literally referring to himself as Elijah, right? And in this analogy, he's Elijah, and the, and the right. people following him are Elijah, right? The, and the the members of the media are bail prophets on their newsroom thrones, and he's using that in a, in a story in which the prophets of Elijah kill the Baal prophets, right? And so, is that a is that just spiritual langu- I- warfare language, or is it going a bit too far? I, you know, and and I, I well, guess I know where you probably come from. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I, I mean, huh. But the, you started to see it get a lot worse in that dimension when you started coming into late December and early January. So, you know, actually the brother of that, that minister, who's a, who uh, is a a pastor at a church in Ohio, published a sermon, streamed it on YouTube called Air Raid Warning, in which he prophesied smoke rising from the Capitol, Right. right. There's, uh, you know, the the one from South Carolina again, um, you know, asked his his followers to pray that God would strike down the enemies of God, right? In a in a in a in a post and a thread that functionally describes a lot of living physical beings as being people. Are who, these who threads hate still God. up there? Have these oh, been yeah. taken down? Oh yeah, they're up. They're up. They're up. Okay. Um, there's a, another minister from the Carolinas uh, who runs a, a very large church. Who, who's been talking for two years, saying that he fully expects a civil war. You know, you've got actually legitimately, you know, noteworthy Christian author Eric Metaxas telling Donald Trump in a podcast, I would just want you to know I would die in this fight. Right? You're you're seeing hold the line, stand and fight language that is, is being talked about in context, again, of spiritual warfare, but it starts to really get a little bit. Hazy. and wait and metaxas said
0: in a podcast with trump he was talking with trump
1: he was talking to donald trump
0: and he said i'd die for you
1: yeah well I, that's not literally what he said yeah but that's a, f- a good figurative way of saying it i believe he said i would die in this fight okay yeah so yeah but it, you know look yeah. it, it, it culminates donald that up it culminates a couple of days before you know one, one of these ministers is is, is on twitter and uh, one of his followers says you know i i, I was just thinking this is maybe three days before January mm-hmm. 6th. So I was I was thinking about this time I met you at a conference in, in Pennsylvania, I think, and and I said to you, you know, I, I had a dream that we were storming the floor of the Capitol together. And you know, this this minister who is among the more notable within this movement, you know, likes to tweet. Big fan. Likes, yeah. Big fan of the idea. Yeah, and, thumbs up. and 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 I, and I recognize it's it's hard to believe that that these things are just references to spiritual warfare. I, I don't want to convince you of that or anyone of that because the reality is I think that this rhetoric has had a definite effect on the way that a lot of different participants, both in the, the, the pushing back against the results of the election and in everything that happened on January 6th, I think this has been a core part of, of what has guided some of those individuals' actions. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. it's really, when, when you start to see, you know, the, those mirrored comments from, from Linwood, you know, on the, um, you know, at the Jericho rallies, saying many of these same things, when, um, you know, you're, you're seeing how the literal things described by these individuals then actually took place. Um, the, the absolute kindest thing you can say is that they ended up being irresponsible, And I think you could, you know, depending on your, the amount of grace you're willing to extend, you could say things that were a lot worse. Well, Rusty, what is happening right now on these Christian media channels? So a a couple of different things. I mean, fortunately, I think people like Beth Moore and David French are winning the argument. Okay. With the core. Right. And I really believe that. I think, I think there is a lot of, there have been people who've come out and apologized very, very boldly and and repentantly um i think you are seeing a lot of people look at their motivations and, and and interrogate them i think a lot so by and large i think a lot of really good things are are happening within this particular community um there are you know there have been holdouts mm-hmm. and 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 some of those holdouts i think are starting to look a little bit more directly aligned with with movements like like q and and, and 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 which itself is to some extent kind of fracturing uh, because of the lack of revelations yeah. um but you're almost seeing this group a little bit take up the torch in that um if you've said that that it was god's will that this happened that this would happen and it didn't and you've come to believe that it was through fraud and all, the, all these other things you know, you're, you're going to continue to believe right, that there's going not. to be some other supernatural way that this is going to come a pass or some very natural way yeah, through warfare. So one of these individuals, two days after Biden's or one or two days after Biden's inauguration shared a dream. Someone had, had given him in which, um, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were in the, 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 the office of the president and, you know, as the, the dream goes on to show, a a, a a general in a military uniform keeps them from assaulting the lion that was supposed to represent Jesus. So essentially, it's a dream in which Biden and Kamala were going to attack, you know, Aslan, as it were. Yeah. And the, the general stood in the way. And, you know, his comment was, I'm not, I don't know if that means that the, the military is going to step in here at some point. <laughs> I'm but, just asking questions. But the, the rhetoric really started to get stepped up. And I think some of them are trying to kind of fade into the background, Mm -hmm. but my, my real fear here, fear here, and this is kind of gets back to why we wanted to talk about this is that all of those core ingredients, all of those things, which led to, to Trumpism, they have nothing to do with the person of Donald Trump. Right. 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 None of those preconditions have gone away. The belief that the media is an antagonistic and, you know, irredeemably opposed force to the American church has not gone away. And so this- and probably being banned on Twitter makes any difference in any of this anyway. No, and, yeah. and, <laughs> and within the communities of, of, of supporters for a lot of these, in particular the itinerant preachers and the, yeah. and the Kenneth Copelands of the world and, and those running the networks, there is, there is no system of accountability. Right. Right, because I think most people's question would be like, well, where are the, the leaders of, of the church? They have none. C- Kenneth Copeland has a nonprofit board and in his charter, at least the last time that it was reviewed by you know any media organization, in his charter, he has the ability to veto any decision of the board. Right. So right, right. even yeah. in even in a case where you have a legitimate board structure for oversight, right, there is there is Doesn't there matter. is literally no oversight going in one of those cases. And in the cases of a lot of these other nonprofits, you know, there's a certain
0: we see that with Liberty University too. I mean, you see that with all of these, these institutional, I'll call it veneer or trappings for what is a not an
1: institutionally controlled thing which which we talk about in in the you know the corporate world as well as we talk about the the ineffectual nature of of boards to actually act in the interest of shareholders i think that's that's broadly true here and because all of this this movement tends to be organized around individuals who are not part of formal church structures Mm -hmm. there is no oversight to for someone to come in and say look you got this wrong you need to take a step back. Right. And and instead, what's going to happen? I mean, we'll see the form 990s in two years. My guess is donations will spike for each of these individuals and yep, continue to allow them to yeah. promote this. And 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 I, I worry that this is something because the preconditions haven't changed, the basic arguments have not changed, though that we will continue to see this as, as a force for skepticism about any outcome. That does not result in in a in a religious friendly outcome to the country. In a, a
0: dominion-friendly outcome. Yeah.
1: And, and you mean dominion dominion yeah. theology, not yeah, dominion, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the voting yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, and 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 it's very hard. And this, this is where it gets to the maybe not so optimistic kind of conclusion, because usually right, the 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 response that I would um, I would look for is for for these people to come out and say, We got this wrong. And here's what I'm disavowing. I'm disavowing. Right that there was, you know, electoral fraud that stole this election. I am disavowing that it was, you know, a bunch of Antifa people who, who yeah. you know, formed the core of those people who stormed the Capitol. But no, you
0: see like the, like the Oregon Republican party with their kind of statement. I don't know if you saw that. It was just yesterday Yeah, saying, Oh, it's false flags. And, you know, the, the, the Republicans in the house who voted for impeachment, they're traitors, yep. you know, their words. And it's, you know, I was saying the other day, I referred to, you know, my homeland, right? So North Alabama, yeah. right? Seven generations there, family, and I describe it as the it's the it's the Trump Caliphate of yeah. North. I mean, and it and it feels more and more that's what it really has become.
1: And and I can see why for people who are not part of the church, yeah, people in the media when they're looking at this, they it is it would be very hard to stick to distinguish between what I think are the good and decent people who determine in good faith to vote for Donald Trump in ways that were influenced by their faith versus people who both badgered and were badgered by leaders who told them that to support, you know, anyone other than Donald Trump was to be in opposition to God. Right. And, and I think it, it, unless you know what's going on there, it is hard to distinguish. And so part of the reinforcing feature of this is that since the core tenant of Q, the core tenet of this you know, charismatic Pentecostal movement to support Donald Trump, right? The core tenet of that that is shared among all of these is the antagonism of and the the deep distrust of of the media and so what you're now layering on because of you know what I, what I believe was actually pretty substantial overreach by big Tech mm-hmm. right in the in the days after yeah for one six and then you saw the the news media I think in many cases promoting the the white evangelicals very broad brush 100 million Americans yep. are, you know, pro-insurrection and there really are enemies with which there is no there's no reconciliation right if if you're now in the seat of someone who who fell for one of these delusions and is trying to work their way out and that's what you're hearing coming from the press it's not going to weaken your belief that that maybe you were right in the first place which is part of the reason why this is a podcast instead of a note you know you know as you know i did write a note Uh, it's an amazing note
0: it was it's amazing that, and it
1: was it was twelve thousand words, and and it and it and had, decided not to publish it, and and the reason we decided not to publish it is that we came to the conclusion that in this case, that if you start mentioning and talking very specifically about the ministries of, of the people who, um, uh, who made these claims and, and and did that, you almost certainly do not help, and and in part it's because when you've created an environment in which opposition is deemed evidence that you are doing the right thing, when you have created an environment in which it has become credible and increasingly credible to people that the media and, and, you know, we, we would be tagged as media, even though that's yeah pretty far from the truth, right? We would be tagged as media and, and people would come to the conclusion that says, look, we're, we must still be doing the right thing because the prophets of Baal are still coming after us. And so you know, I wrote private letters to each of these these guys, letting them know what I thought. Because my intention was not to, um, you know, do anything other than make this better. And I and I think we yeah. came to the conclusion that publishing a note that that well, seemed intention on, you know, in to to have its intent to be to to destroy the you know these ministries or the or these men and women's lives was was actually going to hurt more than it helped.
0: Well, I I also think, Rusty, though, that that note is going to be written, right? It won't be written by you or it won't be published by you. They'll be published by someone who doesn't come from the position you're coming at it from and that that it won't just be hostile in perception, it'll be hostile in reality. And so, you know, like you, I don't see what changes, the preconditions and and the like that are that are here. And I don't see what changes the 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 group dynamics. I think you're accurately describing of kind of circling the wagons, you know, because you're all being painted with the same brush and where you're going to go and you know and and all of those dynamics. My 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 hope is and this is why I'm so glad that we were able to do this as a podcast where we're not naming names and, and the like that that your note inevitably had to do Uh, because I, I I do think, and this is where I want to leave it open for the people listening to this podcast to think about these issues with full hearts, clear eyes to see what's really going on, but full hearts, you know, how do we, how do we change this for the better? Uh, And, I don't know, I, you know, I've, I've, because this is very new to me, I've, I've thought about kind of the whole notion of a reformation, you used that word earlier. Yeah. And, and, and I wonder if if the sort of schism that strikes me is happening within the evangelical church as, as you're describing it, the schism that I think is happening inside the Republican political party, the schism that in different ways has always been going on in the Democratic Party, I, I'm trying to figure out what comes out of the schism and, and how that can, or can it be not channeled or not powerful enough to that, but can it be influenced in helpful rather than harmful ways?
1: I'm, uh, I'm not sure. And, you know, I I think one of the benefits that Martin Luther had was that he had the ear of people in the church he was with he was in the church and in in, in a structure that permitted him to create debates and audiences in which those 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 arguments would be heard and if that were the case here then what what happened in the first reformation you know could happen here where someone speaks to these individuals and says you know hey by the way remember solus christus remember you know soli deo gloria because that's not in this right and the problem is that there is no one who can do that because there is no one, and this is, I hesitate to use the word problem, but this is the challenge of that otherwise attractive apostolic model is that the, the, the person is by definition saying that they are accountable only to God. Right. And when that's the case, then your ability to execute a, a, a reformation like the one that was kicked off by Martin Luther is, is dramatically reduced but as you said earlier the reformation will come one way or another and the question is do you want it to come from people within the church who are willing to extend grace to the hearts and motivations or from the irs examiner who yep. is now going to have a slightly you know different perception on you know the use of that um, you know whether that gulf stream was 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 really for you know the purposes of, of furthering the teaching of you know the gospel of christ as you described in your you know religious ministry designation on your form 990 Right. And 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 I we're probably hitting the point at which those disavowals need to be made before that narrative starts to be a little stronger and a little more resounding from the outside. And so um, I'm hopeful that there's a, a full heart solution to this, but clear eyes, I don't think it's coming.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I mean I, I this is such a difficult topic to speak about. Faith. And then its combination with politics just makes it all the more wrenching. So I want to thank you, Rusty, for wrestling with this and watching a thousand hours of those videos, even on fast forward, (laughs) because I I, I do think that as, as we go forward over the next year and four years and 10 years, this is at the heart of how our society is polarizing the widening gyre. Yeah. And if we don't get at the heart, if we can't see it, because it's been invisible to me, and I think it inv- will have been invisible to so many of the listeners to this podcast, really hope this is going to kick off something, at least some, some recognition that this is, is, is actually happening. This is, and how we do it together or not is going to shape our lives for, you know, for the rest of my life.
1: Look, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I I think we di- we differ perhaps in our, our, yeah. our views on faith, but what I think we probably agree on is that an America in which the church is not a functioning institution for, you know, bridging divides and for doing good is not one that escapes the widening gyre of our politics successfully. So- uh, we we do have to we we do have to figure this out, and we can't shy away from from these conversations, right? Just because it is difficult to discuss the intersection of religion and politics, we we, we do have to have these these discussions, at, just as we will with with any other um, you know important institution for for our country. So uh, we appreciate everyone kind of listening and and listening to it with as full hearts as you could possibly muster. As you possibly muster, <laughs> right on, brother. Well, uh, so that'll conclude episode number four. Uh, do
0: listen to us subscribe on itunes spotify spread the word and uh, write us a good review while you're at it because podcasts like this they'll 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 attract some people who want to want to shut this down so 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 help us out on that we will talk to you next time thanks everyone thanks